Hello and welcome back to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Amanda Williams and Williams Health Specialist of Bossier about genetic testing. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way so we can be sure and hear your question and you can hear us. The number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it all throughout the show. Be scrolling around the bottom of your screen. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Williams. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a great topic to talk about and share with everyone in case they're wondering just what genetic screening or testing is. What is that? So there are three main types of genetic testing that obstetrician and gynecologists employ. Um, the first is hereditary cancer screening and that is screening for certain genes that we know that are associated with the development of cancers. Uh, those tend to be the cancers that run in families like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer. Um, the second is recessive carrier screening. Basically recessive genes are genes that only affect you if you have two copies. Usually you get one copy from mom, one copy from dad, but that doesn't mean that mom can't carry a copy. So what we do is ideally before pregnancy, we test mom to determine if she carries an abnormal copy. If she does not, then we know there's no risk to baby. Some of those recessive genes that most people would be familiar with are like cystic fibrosis or um, sickle cell disease, you have to have two abnormal copies to be affected with that disease. If mom happens to carry a copy, then the follow-up test would be to test dad. If he also carries a copy, then that means there is a chance that baby could develop one of those or could have that disease. Um, and then the third type of genetic testing is non-invasive perinatal genetic testing or cell-free DNA testing. And basically it's a blood test where you can extract a very small piece of baby's DNA from mom's bloodstream to determine how many chromosomes baby has and even baby's gender. That's incredible that you get information on the baby from the mom's blood, the DNA of the babies, which makes sense because it's all being formed together inside the mom's body. But you just, it's just incredible that we know that we can test that. It's impressive <laughs> the really technology is. that's developed it's astounding isn't it yes ma'am and has it changed over the years like have you seen it just progress and just advance oh absolutely so years ago the only option to determine baby's genetic makeup was amniocentesis um, or another test similar to it called chorionic villus sampling but basically those tests carry a risk of pregnancy loss so you could have miscarriage that was unfortunately the only thing that was available to women who were older or who had a family or uh, other risk factors for Down syndrome would be those tests. So frequently that meant women carried a pregnancy till delivery without knowing the diagnosis because people didn't want to take that risk. So over the course of time this test has been established and verified and it's so sensitive and specific, it's it's 99% accurate. And that allows moms and families to make decisions about delivery and those types, just to be prepared for all of the difficulties that can come 
from those genetic abnormalities. And that's another reason why I think you mentioned several key things. I think why today's uh, conversation is so interesting and exciting and informative and hopeful because I know Absolutely. 30 to 35 years ago, you didn't do even ultrasounds all the time. You didn't right. do that. You didn't uh, check any of synthesis unless there might have been something wrong. So usually yeah. it was to detect something that they, there might be a risk of something. Yes, and now it's preventative, it's informative. Absolutely. It's, it's there, all there for the taking for the patients these moms and dads. And so we talked a little bit about how what you can do before someone gets pregnant. But if someone comes to you and they're already pregnant, also same tests, same things is just, or is there something different? What, what else do we do if someone's already pregnant? Well, you can actually do all of it's those all tests same. in pregnancy. The only one that can't be done outside of pregnancy is obviously the cell-free DNA or the non-invasive perinatal testing. Um, but alternatively, all three of them can be performed in pregnancy if indicated. So sometimes I'll have a patient come to me with their first visit and we always have them fill out a genetic screening questionnaire. And if it's a new OB visit, it may very well be that we offer them all three of these tests. It's always patient's option if they want to be tested because sometimes people have desire to not know. Sure. Uh, but they're there and available for those patients who do desire that knowledge. Right. So we can actually draw them all during pregnancy. Um, we can't change baby's genetics once baby is already conceived, but you can make management decisions that can impact baby for the rest of his or her life. Right. And so these it, at what point in the pregnancy? Is it ever too early to start? Are there some that you do at certain stages in the pregnancy? Absolutely. So hereditary cancer screening and recessive carrier screening, because those are not those are once per mom's lifetime, because our genetic our genetics don't change. Uh, but the cell free DNA is once per pregnancy, and it can be done anytime after nine or ten weeks. And that is just at about the time that there's enough circulating. DNA from the baby in mom's bloodstream. And what is that specific condition you just talked about? What are you testing for that one you just described? The non-invasive perinatal testing specifically tests for trisomy 13, 18, or 21. So that's Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome, and Patel's. Most people are quite familiar with Down syndrome because that is probably the one that is most compatible with life. But the other two can actually have significant um, birth defects that if addressed immediately after delivery can prolong baby's lives. Those, so what a trisomy is, is it's when all of us that ideally our genetic makeup is 46 chromosomes. We get 23 from mom and 23 from dad. But a trisomy means that you have an extra copy of one specific chromosome. If it's 21, then that's what we typically know as Down syndrome. Um, and then, like I said, Edwards and Patel can survive till birth, but usually not normal long lives like we associate with Down syndrome now. But they are ones that can survive for a couple of years even sometimes. And so it allows us to make management decisions uh, along with the parents about delivery places um, if they need specialty care, maybe delivering in a bigger city or uh, at, a, at a tertiary or higher level hospital. And there are some parents out there who don't even 
care to know that. Mm -hmm. And it's really the choice. So even if, say, okay, yes, do all the tests, but don't tell me the results. Have them in my file, unless it's something you feel dangerous that I really need to know, like gender mm -hmm. uh, or anything else. Because a lot of this is, it, we're so blessed and so lucky now to have this information that it just helps you prepare, right. whether it's emotionally or intellectually or with the relationship with, between the other parent and the family to get ready for everything in the most positive and loving way that you can. Absolutely. And some people are just like, I, I'll just deal with it when it happens. I just, you know, a, my baby is my baby. And, and, and that's absolutely totally fine. an acceptable right. way. It, it really is about what makes the patient comfortable um, because even without this genetic testing, a lot of the major anomalies we can see on ultrasound. And so we could still make those preparations just maybe a little bit later and maybe not as it, as much information. But again, our goal as OBGYNs is to make our patients comfortable and provide them the best possible care. And it sounds like you're involved in that. That was my next question, yeah. my observation really, that you're ready, you're just ready in the most wonderful, positive way and informative way to right. whatever they need after that. You're not, Absolutely. you don't just say, well, here's what happened and we'll see you at your next visit. That's it's right. like, you give them all the resources to deal with it in any way and celebrate. They may be celebrating in either way. So whatever yeah. the results are, you're ready, you're a resource to give them anything that they might want to further their information. That's definitely right. our goal. Yeah, it's wonderful. And so with these testing also, are there say we have an amniocentesis or we have just whatever genetic screening, are there follow-up tests to confirm anything any further with some of those? So the cell-free DNA, like I said, it is 99% accurate. So nothing is 100%, but normally after, if ladies were to have an abnormal test result, we would refer them to the high-risk OB specialist and they in turn would offer an amniocentesis. Um, patient at that time would have the opportunity to either accept or decline depending upon how comfortable they are with the diagnosis or if they really just don't believe it. Um, but again, completely the patient's option and then we can kind of help facilitate progression through the remainder of the pregnancy to make sure that we do everything to improve quality of life as well as length of life for both mom and baby. That's really reassuring. The yes, support please. that I'm hearing and feeling through this whole process is really pretty amazing. But every mother, whether it's your first baby or your tenth, it's just, just you want that support, yeah, peace of mind, yeah. because all you really care about is that that healthy baby and healthy yes, mom. Yes, and so, um, so. Tell us about like, okay, we talked about how it's, how the screening is actually performed. You and I kind of talked about that mm -hmm. earlier. What are the different ways that you get this information? So do you mean like how we obtain the... Yeah, we talked about saliva uh -huh. or blood. Okay. Or so we offer these tests in, in our office based on the questionnaires and the screening uh, process that we talked about. Uh, and then we can either draw blood or if patients are absolutely anti getting needle sticks, <laughs> there is a saliva test. Again, it just has a slightly higher risk of not having an adequate sample. Um, and then we submit it to a, an, ex, an outside company that performs this genetic testing. And then they usually generate a report to us depending upon which test it is between 10 days and four weeks. Um, and that report usually comes with a lot of detail. So it'll tell us what all was tested, but it also will tell us if there's any abnormalities or 
if everything is normal, what that means. Um, and then if there's any abnormalities, it'll make suggestions for follow-up testing or um, what the next step is. Uh, so we talked briefly about hereditary cancer screening. If we have someone who tests positive for one of the genes that we know is associated with familial cancer, then it'll make some recommendations for changing preventative care. So it, say for example if a lady tests positive for the gene that means she's at an increased risk of breast cancer, they may no longer just need annual mammograms. They may need annual mammograms alternating every six months with breast MRI. Um, and so it makes some recommendations in that report uh, and it gives the patient a lot of information because there's also a patient generated report with all of that information, kind of what it means for them, what it means for their family. Because if you think about the fact that if a mom carries a gene for cancer, then there's a 50% chance that her daughters or her sons could carry that same gene. So it also makes recommendations for testing for family members and additional screening strategies. Okay, yeah, so I'm glad that this conversation is moving into that because we talked about that too. But before we go on, I want to talk about when you, you mentioned to me, which is something that actually was, <laughs> it was reassuring to me that when you are taking blood from something, as the doctor, you're just sure you're going to have a good supply. Absolutely. Or you might not always get enough yes, of saliva. You can just get as, only as much as you can, but you're going to get enough blood to yes, give a very thorough test. So yes, that makes me feel a little better when we go to the blood test. I'm good about that. So, so let's talk a little bit about it. I'm glad you said that because we also were talking earlier, you and I, about what are the different genetic tests? You just touched on a few, but how many and different types are there that just throughout a woman's life that she will get tested aside from pregnancy or what kind of genetic testing may come up? Well, that actually expands every year, if, if we're going to be honest. Our, just our technology, um, what we determine is prevalent in certain populations. So like recessive carrier screening, there's a panel anywhere from four tests, which are routinely recommended by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. There are actually 200 plus test that can be tested. So if a specific patient is concerned about someone in her family having a recessive gene abnormality, they could get a panel that includes over 200 specific genes. That was not the case five years ago even. So those panels are increasing over, over time just due to technologic advances. But um, I would say normally we would say recessive carrier screening is once in your lifetime because your genes don't change. But your situation or your circumstances might change. You might learn of an additional family member that makes you question other possible genetic abnormalities. So although your genes don't change, you may need to add some additional tests. Um, same thing with hereditary cancer screening. There is a panel that we know is associated specifically with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer. Well, we screen every patient every year when they come in, we have them fill out a genetic questionnaire. And so you may come in one year and you don't meet the criteria or even know that you meet the criteria for genetic testing, uh, but then someone in your family, someone you're very close to might be diagnosed from one office visit to the next and then you may qualify or need that testing. So 
uh, on the other side of that, there are certain genes that we know are associated with cancer, and then there are other variants that we're just not sure of. And those are called variants of uncertain significance or unknown significance. And so about every six months, the companies that we utilize to perform these tests will actually reprocess the samples to determine if any new variants have been found. So the blood itself may only need to be drawn once, but that test may be performed many, many times just depending on when in your lifetime you have it drawn. Um, so normally you would only need those two once. Long, long answer to, uh, to for, a, for a short response, really. Um, but uh, at this moment, those are really the three big genetic tests offered. And uh, again, usually once per pregnancy for the one that tests baby, once per lifetime for the adult woman. Really great information. And also what I heard mostly to our viewers and our callers and be sure everyone to be sure and call in and talk to Dr. Williams and any of your questions uh, that we're talking about. Cause I know there's just a million of them going through my mind right now. So, um, and also it's always to keep, we like to remind people to stay up on your visits. Absolutely. Take those questionnaires seriously and to let your doctor know whether they ask or not. Because a good thing is a good example. I like visuals and stories where say I've been coming to you for 10 years. You've tested, I've had genetic testing, not as worried or anything but I've just had you know, just the usual panels too mm -hmm. and some cancers are not detected on just regular panels that you test it does it has to be specific like you said yes ma right yes, so say I've been coming to you for 10 years we're all good I don't know that I have any risk but my mother develops ovarian cancer yes um, and I might not think that that's important to let you know right now other than just confiding in you because you're you know you're my doctor or sure. when you say pay attention when your doctor says what's going on in your life right now that's something that's going on in your life right now. Right. It matters. So then, if I tell you that, then would you say, oh, well, let's go ahead and test you for that genetic. Absolutely. If I want. I may not Absolutely. want to. Maybe I'm that kind of like, I don't want to know. Well, ideally, we would hope that your mom would have been tested because if she carries the gene, then there's a 50% chance that you do. If your mom does not carry the gene, then we know she had a spontaneous cancer oh. that might not be genetic in origin so there's there's definitely benefit in that but especially in patients who's may, may be talking about second degree relatives grandparents aunts or uncles they may not know if their family member was tested or their family member might have been diagnosed prior to the the development of these tests so and it may not even be that it's a new diagnosis it may be I was talking to my grandmother the other day and didn't realize her sister had this cancer. And so it may not be that the the person who had it would have even been able to get the testing, but you might need it just for your peace of mind and to know what your children or your siblings might be at risk for. True. And is it over like siblings? Like say I have three sisters and we all get tested. One could have it, one might not. Absolutely. It's just across the board individual. It is to absolutely the individual. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I said the ideal person to test would be the person who is affected by the cancer because if, if they carry it, then there's a big chance that any of their children could. Right. Um, but there's not a guarantee, there's about 50%. Even if your genetic test is normal, there still may be some modified screening strategies just because of the family history itself. 
But say, for example, if, if you carry certain types of BRCA mutations, um, you can be between 40 to 80% risk of developing cancer. Well, if you don't carry that mutation, but you still have a close family member, your risk may be higher than one in eight, which is the baseline risk but not quite 40 to 80%. So the, that's the other benefit of the testing we use is they also provide like a risk score that tells you, okay, you may not have the genetic, the genetic abnormality, but just based on your family history, you're still at an increased risk. Right, and it's good to reiterate that because I love the terminology that you use because having this test just let you know along the way. It's good to know, it's just information to file back there if you're not having any symptoms or anything. Right. It doesn't mean you're prone to it, it just means to watch for it, test yeah. for it. If something comes up similarly, go, you know what? Maybe it's time. I, it could be nothing, but you get something. I'm going to relieve myself of any worry, and I'm going to have this test because I do know from a few years ago right. that my family has it. Right. And and sometimes, uh, you know, you can do things preventatively to mm -hmm. keep from developing those uh, risks or worries later in your life, um, or. If, if not, if you say, you know what, I'm just going to be extra vigilant and make sure that I get all of my testing and screening, then you just catch it earlier and it can still lead to a longer life. Gosh, that's such a great <laughs> reminder because we talk about it all the time. Your lifestyle has so much to do with, even if you've been genetically tested and you have this possibility, still, it's you're still that individual body. Right. You still get to take care of yourself. Absolutely. And live a great lifestyle or a lifestyle that's, you know, conducive to a healthy way of no matter what is, is in right. there. So it all matters. So does it ever skip a generation? So go back to pretend it's, it's me and I find out later, you know what? I didn't know, but my grandmother died of breast cancer. Absolutely. And I never knew that. Absolutely, because remember I said even if you carry the specific mutation that increases your risk to 40 to 80 percent, that's not 100 percent. Right. So you may carry that mutation or your mom, so using your grandmother example, uh, your mom might carry the mutation but because of her lifestyle choices, uh, she might not ever develop the breast cancer but she could still pass that gene mutation along to you and so you still have that same risk that she had even though she didn't develop it. Right. So it's really good information again just to know, just to be aware yeah. of all the things about your body. But Absolutely. still look at it as positive information. It's just Absolutely. good to know. It's good to know so I can make good choices and, and feel good and be alert early if something just doesn't feel right. Because our intuition Absolutely. always tells us something a little bit off. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and also if, if say, your, your mother or you know, a parent with your mother had diagnosed again with let's go with ovarian cancer, and you're not really concerned about yourself, but you have daughters. Mm -hmm. Is it still a good idea to go get tested so that you'll have the information to pass on to them, Absolutely. or do the daughter does the daughter need to get tested? Should I? So the the recommendation would be for you to be tested, obviously, because if uh, if you it, there's more than just ovarian cancer that if, if you have a family member who has ovarian cancer and it's genetic, you could actually develop pancreatic cancer or other types of cancer as well. So that doesn't limit it just to daughters. In that regard, you have to think about your sons as well. So the, the first, the closest effective relative is actually the best person to get tested just because if you don't carry that variant or that abnormality, then there's no chance your daughters do. So that's peace of mind for you as a mother or your sons either. But that's peace of mind for you as, as a mother that you don't have to worry about them developing that 
because let's be honest, even when they're adults, <laughs> they're still our babies, right? Oh yeah, forever. Yes, oh, yeah. And that was my next question too, if you have sons, if you yeah. have some, it, it does happen to be ovarian or breast cancer, because men get breast cancer. Absolutely. And, uh, and so any of that, just no matter what, if you care, if you really want to know, and you wonder if you're a carrier, sons, daughters, like you said, just because this is the highlighted cancer that you know about, it's good to, if for Absolutely. your peace of mind, if you want to get tested. Well, I will actually tell you that there are a few specific cancers that should should trigger you for screening, and that's pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, or male breast cancer, because males are much, much more likely to have genetic mutations if they develop breast cancer, just because male breast cancer is that rare. That's so interesting. So if you have a male breast cancer in your family, you definitely should talk to your provider about this testing. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that. I, just knowing that it's so rare mm -hmm. that if one does get it, then it really is good to test for more mutations. Yes, and so if you do want, do you start with, how do we start go about getting this testing? Do we start with? So um, no, pretty much any provider can offer it, but it usually, just this lends itself very well to something to discuss with your OBGYN. So normally, like I said, we have every patient who comes in for a wellness visit or their first visit with us in general fill out a genetic question, a genetic screening questionnaire. And I know sometimes it's frustrating because we have to <laughs> fill those papers out every year. But realistically, things can change in a year that can not only in your family history, but also some recognition from the, you know, the testing development, we can recognize that there are things that are related that last year we might not have realized were. So there are even some changes to our questionnaire from year to year. So normally that's how we begin the process at our clinic. But most OBGYNs, even if they don't specifically ask about it, most of them are very familiar with offering this testing. So if you see a provider and they don't ask you specifically about it, but you think it's something you're interested in, ask. All they can say is, we don't offer that testing, but let me send you somewhere who where they can. Um, and so it, we are our own best health advocates. We can have the best providers, but ultimately we have to take ownership of our health care. Um, and so I never ever have a problem with a patient coming in and asking me, what do you think about this test? If I don't know information about it, I will get that information, but I definitely think that we miss a lot, a lot of opportunities by not asking questions as patients. Yeah, and I think sometimes we can forget yeah. just how, what a valuable and huge resource our doctor is. Yeah. And, and, and our doctor visit is, yes, that there's no silly question, there's no question, because any question you ask you might think doesn't pertain or it's silly or whatever, is maybe even a trigger. Your doctor's listening for key words in there, go, oh, Absolutely. back up, let me, let me know more about that. And filling out that paperwork, sometimes we think, oh, okay, okay. Well, then, <laughs> and now you, you make it so much easier too. A lot of offices, we can fill it out online before we go. So Absolutely. take the time at home, pour yourself a cup of coffee, sit there, fill it out, call, you have the time to call and fill and make sure if you don't know. Um, really take the time. That paperwork is really crucial. That information just doesn't go into black hole or just slip it in your file. You look over that and use it because if you pay Every attention, visit. the doctor brings it in and yep. says you checked here. So all of this information is just so valuable in owning your own health care. Yes, ma'am. And you'll talk as long as we need to when we come in there and talk to you. And it's not like when you're, sometimes we'll fill it out really quick because we don't want to be late or we'll rush through our appointment because we think we've asked you enough. But it really is. It's
it's your your health care. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So tell us when a woman should begin preventative care. So we recommend beginning pap testing at age 21, but that doesn't mean that you need to wait that long to come in and see your gynecologist. Uh, most people see their pediatricians for annual visits. So normally my recommendation is 15, 16 for most young women to begin to establish care with a, a gynecologist because I think sometimes Let's be honest, it's not the most comfortable office to walk into. Um, but sometimes patients can have that peace of mind if they know they don't have to have exam when they come in the first time. Um, so it's maybe easier to start when you're in your late teens to develop that relationship and so that when you do have questions or you have concerns, it's not like you're feeling awkward so you already have that relationship you can come in talk to your provider um, we would not offer genetic testing under 18 just because it's really just not sure part of what we would recommend um, I think there's so many life decisions made based on genetic testing that sometimes those results after 18 are better than before um, but it, it's a good opportunity to come in and, and meet with your provider, even if you know you're not gonna have a pap test. Right, and it's so comfortable to create that safe space yes. and to change our mind frame on walking into that office and have it be, oh, this is a this is actually a great place to be, yep. rather than dreading going in and, and having that done because it, it is so supportive. Yep. We're very blessed that we get to go to doctors who specialize in this and can tell us. So That's what right. is something, Dr. Wade, this has been an amazing conversation, thank you. What is the <laughs> one thing you'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with today? Um, I'd probably like to go back to what we talked about owning your own health care and being your own advocate. Um, there is nothing wrong with asking for a second opinion on anything that concerns you about your health care, be that obstetrics, be that gynecology, be that any field of medicine. I think that sometimes um, we get so wrapped up in what we do on a daily basis that we say the same things over and over. But that doesn't mean that the patient understands or grasps that. So ask questions. Um, be your own advocate. Thank you so much. You definitely have laid that out for us today. And thank you so much. I know you've changed some lives of people watching. Thanks for watching Healthline 3. We will see you next time. Have a great afternoon.